1: We look back, he tented with his people. We look forward, he will tent with his people again. And we have beheld his glory. Now the word that John uses here never means, it's never used in speaking of visions. It's always meant to speak. We have seen, literally, with our eyes, we have seen his glory. Now the thing that comes to my mind is the uh, author's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because Peter, James, and John, this John, the author of this gospel, saw a physical manifestation of Jesus' heavenly glory at that transfiguration when his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light.
0: Can you imagine actually seeing God's glory here on earth? We're going to hear more about this on today's edition of Study Verse by Verse with our teacher, Pastor Leighton Sheely, from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Welcome to the broadcast for this Wednesday. I'm Mike Trout. So glad you've been able to join us. Pastor Layton is in the book of John, and he'll continue in the first chapter and move on into the second chapter, probably today. If you've missed any of the past broadcasts, you'll find them on the website, highlands.us. And now here's Pastor Layton.
1: Now, in many... Languages, it's difficult to find a satisfactory word or concept to translate. Glory. Uh, a literal translation would be brightness or shining, and, and that's given rise to the idea, the concept of, of a halo or aura around Jesus. And you may have seen pictures where Jesus is doing ministry and he's got a halo around him, and that's uh, an ar- artist's depiction. The Bible doesn't describe any such phenomenon. And, uh, it's probable that if that was the case, it'd be mentioned somewhere in scriptures. You know, like somebody comes to town, hey, can you tell me where Jesus is? Yeah, just look for the guy with the halo. Nobody mentions it in scripture. You know, that, that wasn't what the author's intention was to communicate. Instead, he meant to communicate more along the lines of we saw how wonderful he is, or we saw how great he is. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, we come across the uh, idea that there were certain times when God's glory was visible among men. In the desert, before the giving of manna, the children of Israel looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. Exodus 16. Before the giving of the Ten Commandments, the glory of the Lord settled upon Mount Sinai. Exodus 24. When the tabernacle had been erected and equipped, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Exodus 40. When Solomon's temple was dedicated, the priest could not enter in to minister because the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. When Isaiah had his vision in the temple, he heard the angelic choir singing, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel saw the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 1. The Old Testament, the glory of the Lord came at times when God was very close. The glory of the Lord means simply the presence of God. Colossians nine. the Apostle Paul wrote, For in Christ all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. Glorious of the only begotten Son of the Father. If you've got the King James Version or an older translation, it has the word begotten. Newer translations don't have the word begotten. That's uh, because the King James was based on the Vulgate, which included the word, but that was not really the meaning of monogenes. Monogenes does not uh, refer to a person's origin. It it describes him as unique and one of a kind. The word is found in Hebrew chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in in the act of offering up his only, Monogenes, son. And we know that he had other sons. He had Ishmael and and other children. But Isaac could properly be called Abraham's monogenes, because Isaac alone was the son of the covenant. Menogenes describes Christ as the unique son of God. The scriptures talk about us as being sons of God or children of God, but that's in a different sense. He was the Son of God in a unique way. And, and that's one of the major themes that we find in this fourth gospel. Glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The author uses two words to describe. This word that became flesh, the first word is grace, and it always has two ideas in it. It is something, it describes something that's completely undeserved. It it, it describes something that cannot be earned or achieved for ourselves. The fact that God came into this world to die for mankind's sin is not something that we deserved or earned. It's an act of pure love on the part of God. And so the word grace emphasizes at the same time the poverty and the desperateness of mankind, of man, and the limitless kindness of God. And it always has in it as well the idea of beauty. In fact, in modern Greek, the word has come to mean charm. You know how languages kind of morph over time? If you read Shakespeare, some of the words don't mean exactly the same today as they used to, but it's still English. And Greek's been around for thousands of years. The modern Greek, the word means charm. And so in Jesus, we, sh- we see the, the, sh- the sheer beauty, this charm, the winsomeness of God. Now, previously, men had thought about God in terms of his might and his majesty and his power and his judgment. They thought about God in terms of his ability to crush any opposition and defeat all rebellion. But in Jesus, men are confronted with the sheer beauty, charm, loveliness of God second word that he uses to describe is truth. It's one of the dominant themes through this fourth gospel. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He said, I am the truth. John 14, 6. You know, very few people can grasp abstract ideas. And ever since mankind began to think about God, we've been trying to define who He is and what He is with abstract definitions. But we can cease our vain and fruitless endeavors because we can look at Jesus and we say we can say that is what god is like jesus didn't come to talk about god to men he came to show men what god is like he's the truth and he's the communicator of truth he told his disciples that if they continued with him they would know the truth men always tend to flock to some teacher who can give them guidance to know how to think and, and live. And Jesus is the one who admits the shadows, makes things clear, and at the crossroads of life, shows us the right way. And in those baffling moments of decision, enables us to choose what is right. And thirdly, the truth sets us free. It makes us free. There's always a, an A a freeing quality in the truth, the truth which Jesus brings liberates us from estrangement from God, liberates us from frustration and fears and weaknesses and defeats. Jesus is the greatest liberator in the history of mankind. Paul Harvey, the great radio announcer of yesteryear, told this story. One raw winter night, a man heard an irregular thumping sound against the kitchen storm door, he went to the window and he watched his tiny, shivering sparrows attracted to the evident warmth inside, beat in vain against the glass. Touched the farmer, uh, trundled up, uh, bundled up and trudged through the fresh snow to open the barn for the struggling birds. He turned on the lights, he tossed some hay in a corner, he sprinkled a trail of saltine crackers to direct them to the barn, but the sparrows, which had scattered in all directions when he emerged from the house, still hid in the darkness, afraid of him. He tried all kinds of tactics. He circled around behind the birds to try to drive them towards the barn. He tossed cracker crumbs into the air. He retreated into his house to see if they would flutter into the barn on their own, but nothing worked. He, a huge alien creature, had terrified them. And the birds could not understand that he, was his, he actually wanted to help them. He withdrew to the house, and he watched the doomed sparrows through the window. And as he stared, a thought hit him like, like lightning from a clear blue sky. If only I could become a bird, one of them, just for a moment, then I wouldn't frighten them so much. I could show them the way to warmth and safety. And at that same moment, another thought dawned on him. He had grasped the principle of the incarnation. God became a man to lead us to safety, to save us. A man becoming a bird is nothing compared to God becoming a man concept of a sovereign being as big as the universe that he created, confining himself to a human body, was and is too much for some people to believe. God came to dwell among men. Verse 14 is the very heart of John's gospel, and everything else that he says throughout the gospel must be understood in light of this verse. The Apostle Paul wrote these words. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children
0: of God. This is one of those days when the few minutes that we have seem much too short. Pastor Layton has ended long before I want him to end. I don't know about you. He's taking us through a lengthy study in the book of John. We're just at the front of it, and uh, I hope you can stick with us for the next several weeks. Now, if you miss any of the broadcasts, you can always find them on the website... At Highlands.Us, The broadcast is called Study Verse by Verse. Pastor Leighton Sheely is the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands and he is our teacher each and every day. We're also a non outreach. That means we really depend upon your participation with us. If you're blessed by what you hear, consider joining with us financially and helping us continue on the air. That's Highlands.us, and click on the Donate Now button on the homepage. I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. And make plans, if at all possible, to come back tomorrow at this same time and let your friends know about the broadcast as well. We'll open the Word of God to the book of John still in the first chapter when we come back tomorrow to study
1: verse by verse.